And do you think that is mainly in theatre or have you found that in other mediums as well? What do you mean other mediums? (laughs) Sorry. No, that's perfect. This is probably a really good time to say that um, who you are and what you do because we haven't actually specified that. Well, we know that you're Liam McQuinney. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two. My name is Rebecca and this is The Bit and I'm chatting to Liam McQuinney. He's a music theatre performer, he's an actor and he's just an all-round great guy. So sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. But you are a, a theatre performer, so you're currently studying music theatre. I am. So I'm studying, I'm studying a Bachelor of Arts at Monash University, majoring in musical theatre. No, minoring in musical theatre and majoring in performance. Beautiful. Third yes. year? Is this your third year now? It, it's my final year. Wow. It's my final year. I actually can't believe it. It's gone so fast. And I've... To be honest with you, Rebecca, I've changed so much since I started there. Yeah. Like, even four years ago, when I graduated high school at St. Bernard's College in Essendon, like, so much has changed. And so much life experience. It's like, what? What's happened? And and coming to... And as a sensitive person, I think there's always going to be a love and respect for those people. But it's just by chance or by the situation we don't associate anymore and it's a disappointing thing but it's also a thing of you have to keep moving forward yeah and you you said that you know you're in your third year and I know that you're you have a few things coming up do you want to share what you're working on what I'm working on um well I'm I had I was doing a production of Sideshow I was doing a, pres- a production of Sideshow in Geelong with Theatre at the Damned um, and we were supposed to go on in April and unfortunately due to COVID-19 it was cancelled. Yeah. Then I was cast in Ladies in Black down there with Theatre at the Damned which was supposed to go on in, in the later half of the year but I don't know if that's going to happen unfortunately. So those are the two theatrical projects. But I am doing an upcoming project, which I don't have a lot of information about, but it's online. It's a part of, it's a Monash sort of third year production. I believe we're adapting a classic and I believe it's going to be done on Zoom. So hopefully, so that'll sort of give me a, a performing bug because I, I, I am missing it. But actually, surprisingly, I'm not like... I don't know if it's because I've gotten a bit older, but I, I, I just feel I'm not like clutching to get back onto the, onto the stage, but I do miss it. Yeah. I do miss it a lot. Yeah, I miss it too. Um, I haven't seen a show since um, Feb, I think it was. And actually oh, did okay. I actually kind of didn't watch anything either, not on purpose, but I just kind of found like I wasn't watching any National Theatre Lives or anything like that. And then... What was it? I think it was like a few nights ago. Uh, in my house, we watched Hamilton, and I was just like, "Wow, this is the first show I've seen in a really long time," um, and yeah. I loved it. And I've realized I really miss 
going to the theatre, even the cinema. Like, I just really miss it. Yeah. My family's in Queensland and my sister's like, oh, yeah, I went to the movies on the weekend. And I was just like, yeah, cool. It's like, and it's, it's just the state of our, it's the state of our state. It's the state really. of our state. But there is, there's something about being in a theatre. And look, I'll probably have a, have a bit of a cheeky boast, but I was very lucky to see, I've been very lucky to see Hamilton twice um, on the stage. And there's something about that production and that show that, there's a kinetic energy that happens in the room that regardless of what sexuality, what uh, ethnicity you are, yeah. where you come from, which is very interesting because I went in going, I don't really know a lot about Amer- about American history, mm. age or gender that brings people together. And I think it's the universal truths it speaks to mm-hmm. as sort of an individual <clears throat> trying to make good of a certain situation, trying to what they which is typically very American sensibility but I think I remember when I saw it I was very lucky to see it last year and just looked around and said we are all sharing this experience and we can all relate to this experience on a stage which is very rare and I think that's why probably the show has become so popular yeah I agree and I mean, I always find it a little bit jarring, and I mentioned this the other night, when there's something set in history but modern um, conventions are used. Like it's set in the 1700s, but they're kind of using modern terms, and I always find it a little bit jarring, but I think it's a really important way forward to bring history to now. 100%. And a sense of accessibility to a subject that, and I say this respectfully, that some people may interpret as quite dry or quite um, uh, dull. The first time I saw it, I was very confused by it. I didn't really appreciate it. I was a bit like, oh, this is a bit like... I I wasn't engaged in it. And I love his writing. I think he's so smart. And as I've said, so specific. But I... I just didn't connect to it. And then I went back and I was very like, I went to New York and that's all I did, see shows. My second last day in New York, I saw it. I said, I'm going to bite the bullet. I had some money left over. Oh, rather, I had enough money left over to buy a ticket. There was one cancellation ticket in a premium. And I sat there and said, I, you know, this is, I understand why people like it. I understand why people, it's also... When I was eight, I, I went there when I was 18, when I first saw it, as opposed to 21. I, I feel like as an 18-year-old, I was very closed off, which you can't really experience theatre or experience any art form if you're closed off. That's when you get those people that come to the theatre and go, oh, it was so bad. Oh, you know, she couldn't sing. Oh, I didn't really get it. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, you say that about every production you go to. So it's like, that's a you thing. That's not an art form thing. Like, you're closing yourself up. Like, from the moment the overture starts at a show, you, you as an audience member, it's, a, it's an exchange of energy. You need to open yourself up to the performers on the stage so you can receive what they're going to give you. If you close yourself up, it's like, well, 
they're just playing to faces, which is fine. I mean, that's perfectly fine if you don't feel vulnerable enough to open yourself up. But it's like, you're not really, you're not going to experience the theatrical sort of piece that is being presented to you in its maximum capacity until you'll be able to do that. I think audience members are just as important as the performers on the stage. And people often are like, oh, but it was a bad audience. I'm like, yes, or vice versa, I guess. Or, you know, it's a quote-unquote bad production, which I don't like. I very rarely think a production is bad. I think there's always something good about it. But I think if there's a quote-unquote sort of mediocre night in the theatre, it's because the energy between the audience and the actors and the performers haven't sort of merged, which is what I think theatre's based on. And I think that's the infectious nature of it too. That's why performers love it and that's why the audience loves it. Because it is a social interaction of mammoth proportions and it is so, it's addictive in both senses for the audience and the actors on the stage. I should know, I'm an addict, I'm an addict of both. <laughs> What's been the most memorable experience that you've had with that exchange, that energy exchange between you and the audience? Oh, can I, can I say a few? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In my final year of high school, I, I, I'll preface this by saying I had a bit of a tough time in year 11. I had a really tough time emotionally and I was very, very unstable and I felt, it was self-inflicted, but I just felt worthless and my school were very supportive And, but I just, I think everyone around me was very supportive, but I just was so, I don't want to say a loony because that's a bit disrespectful, but just like, I was just very, I just wasn't, I wasn't operating as myself. And then year 12 came the year after and I played Peter Allen in The Boy From Oz. And I remember on opening night and I came down from my belt and they all stood up and it was just like, but I resurrected from that place where I was hysterical and I, and I couldn't really do work and I had to take time off school to be operating and to be fully alive. And it was just, oh, it was just, it was, it was fantastic. But then last year when we, we did Buddy Holly together at Bro Morris, I definitely, there was something so um, liberating about playing that role at that time in my life with the company and with the cast. It was, it was a real, it was, it was, I'm a big believer that it was meant to be. It's lovely. In what way? Coming into my own as Liam McQuinney through Buddy Holly mm. and learn about who I am through playing him. And it was, a, it was a bit of a different script as well. Like <clears throat> we've spoken about the fact that it was, Um, a play with music. I mean, typically it's a jukebox musical, but it was a play with music, so it was quite heavy on the acting. And then you have the historical component. Um, We played, Liam played Buddy Holly and I played Maria Elena Santiago, um, Buddy Holly's wife. So, you know, we, we, as you do, you have a lot of work to do when when you're basing what you're doing off of people who have lived. So I guess there was that component as well. There was, but I, I think it's about finding their truth within your own. 
I think that's a much more fruitful place to enter a character from, mm. in my opinion, and, and a real life person. I was just going to say, sometimes Sorry. you don't get there straight away. Like, you have to start oh, no. with the work. You have to work, work with what's what's on the page. And then it kind of, you just keep doing the work, keep doing the work, keep doing the work. And you kind of just hope that that, oh. that connection gets made. And it's sometimes only made three quarters through a run, um, the closing night. Um. I'm literally, I'm so woeful at the beginning. I'm terrible. I'm so woeful at the beginning of any rehearsal process. I'm appalling. Like, and I just, it, like, I, like I get there, but I have to work, I have to work out the person. And I've gotten better at sort of just letting go and sort of just going, okay, this is, I'm going to make some bold choices now. Whether they work or whether, whether they don't is, I don't really care. But for now, let's learn. But I'm terrible at the beginning of every rehearsal process. And then it's sort of, I'm terrible. And then <laughs> then as it goes go along, I feel like I, I get to know the character. And that sort of trickles into my my instincts, my impulses, and it all sort of, for like small, just something clicks. I remember with Buddy Holly specifically, I remember when it did click. Um, uh, and it was when I was comfortable enough to reveal my own truth that was similar to his. Yeah, making that connection. Yeah. Mm, and then you just fly. And then from there, you fly, but then you hit a wall because you're so damn tired. And then you cry. Oh. And then it's over. <laughs> Literally, the amount of times on stage I would forget to, you know, do the curtain call with everyone. <laughs> Just keep dancing. I I look back on it very fondly, and the experience very. It was very. Um, it was just. It was great. I really enjoyed my time with Verda Harley, and I think, to be honest, I I learned a lot about myself, as I've said before, by the experience, and it's been playing these. Peter Allen actually, without giving too much away, I truly began to explore and to have because I'm a it's no question I'm a homosexual man but I truly found I was homosexual when I did The Boy From Oz in year 12 that's when I I, I wasn't sure but the cogs had begun to turn in terms of what I found what I find attractive or whatever, whatever. with Buddy Holly it was a thing of knowing what I wanted and going forward with it and that sense of ambition that I knew I had, but it's sort of scary to have because you're like, oh, you know, and particularly being a bit young and immature, it was like, oh, what, you know, I've, I've got this ambition, but what if things don't work out and stuff like that? But he, Buddy Holly didn't care about that. He was like, I'm doing it and I'm doing it now. And Buddy Holly you was know? a similar age to you. He was. He was sort of how you learn about yourself through playing, I've learned anyway, through playing real life people. Like I play f fictitious characters too. And they, they actually become a bit cathartic really, rather than um, ne necessarily learning about yourself I found. We, so we closed in November and you were launching into Sideshow before Christmas. You went straight uh, into your next show. I got cast in the final week of Buddy Holly. Mm -hmm. 
and then I then we didn't start rehearsals until January. So you were rehearsing January, February, and you were due to go on in March. We were doing great, and I really hope that people get to see it. It's such a beautiful show. It's for those of you who don't know, it's about a set of Siamese twins, and they are essentially bought by myself, Terry Connor, in order to make money off them, essentially. Um, and it's about their trials and tribulations with that and their relationship and so on and so forth. And it was, I loved, I love the music in this show. It's beautiful music. And it's also music that I, I tend to like being a bit dramatic, the big grand sort of classic music theatre numbers. And the fact that I get one in this show. It's called Private Conversation. I love to sing it. I get to sing it with uh, my co-star, Letitia, who's fantastic. And it's just it's a beautiful music and a lovely story. Are you guys rehearsing twice a week? Yeah, twice a week. And you're at uni four days? Four days a week, <laughs> yes. But I literally went to the first day of uni, haven't gone back since. Yeah. Because it's like, there's just no point. And then I had to go to work. I to work. I, my hours increased. So you may have to go a bit on the back burner, to be honest. Are you guys doing um, online learning or have you, is it just paused? Uh, no, we're doing online learning. But because I had work during the day, I, I wasn't really able to participate in as best as I could. I still completed all the assignments and still passed everything and did quite well, which is good. And everyone was very understanding because I think it's it's a common problem during this time. So how are you guys going to close off your final year? Do you know yet? I have no idea. I'm sort of just going with the flow. Yeah. Going with the flow because I feel like that's all you can do really. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you were working on some monologues. I am. I am. <sighs> For anything in particular? Uh, I'm auditioning for some acting schools at the end of the year, um, which I, I I started off when I was 18 at Victorian College of the Arts. They have a foundation course in music theatre, and I just wasn't ready at all to really deal with the vulnerability that it requires and the teamwork, to be quite candid with you. I was very snobby and the teamwork that it requires. And so I think um, that's why I sort of, I, I did not pursue after that year, I did not pursue any more full-time conserv- um, conservatorium training um, or audition or anything like that. But now I feel a bit more grounded and a bit more ready and a bit more open, I think. So yeah, I'm working on Iago from um, Othello. Othello. Shakespeare's Othello. Yeah. It's an interesting character. He's a soldier. I don't necessarily sound like a soldier, but we're sort of transforming. <laughs> um, Absolutely love Othello. I think it's one of my favourite Shakespearean plays. It's a really great play. Mm. It's a really great play. And it deals with the idea of relationships mm-hmm. in a way that's so modern. But mm. I think people in the day would have been like, oh, that's never going to happen. And I'm like, the love triangle. The betrayal. Not even... Or the literally, or not even the love triangle, the love like square, really. 
they all have for Desdemona. Mm. Which I think the whole idea of this woman who is just so otherworldly mm. that I think, I don't know, it's, it's, it, it's just, it's a very interesting play when I read it. And I, and I, and I don't necessarily gravitate towards Shakespeare all the time, mm-hmm. but that one I really did enjoy. And Shakespeare's very, like, sorry, let me start again. Monologues in general, yes, you have to break it down. Yes, you have to analyse it. And yes, you have to build your character. But monologues are such a skill because you have to do all of that. You don't have another performer to bounce off. Literally, you've got no one. And it's just got to come out of you and you've got to have a turning point. You've got to... You know, you've got to hit all these notes, but not in like a calculated way. Um, Literally, it's like, like it's got to be natural. It's got to be specific. Like the specificity is so important. And with Shakespeare, to be honest, it's rhythmically very well with iambic pentameter. It gives a lot of clues and a lot of indication. Exactly. But as someone that likes to do their own thing, doesn't necessarily come naturally to just do what they say on the page. What about your contrasting piece? My contrasting piece is from, there's two. Um, you don't have to share. One of them is six degrees of separation. Yeah. I don't know, that's fine. So yeah, listeners, don't take my monologues, please. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, don't um, take my spot at the, at NIDA. And take my monologues. Don't, don't take my spot. Don't take... No, I'm doing one from Six Degrees of Separation, which I've started to read. And then one from another play, which the name is escaping me, but I've ordered it from Dimmick's. Yeah. So... Um, but it's just... They have to be recorded by September the 30th. And look, to be honest, I've built it up in my mind a bit. I, I wish I didn't, because now there's a bit of an expectation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if there wasn't any expectation, I would be a bit more relaxed about it. I think, um, especially with COVID, it's sw- the, it swings both ways, right? So, yeah, it sucks. It sucks that we can't go out and it sucks that we can't do all this other stuff. But, like, how awesome is it to be able to submit right. to a drama school via video submission? It, it is very exciting. I'm very excited. I feel like the time is right for me to put myself out there, which is good. It doesn't feel like I'm, like it's forceful in any way, which is, which is good, I guess. Um, I'm just excited to sort of see what happens in a way, see what happens, see, you know, just put myself out there. I enjoy transforming into someone else. I really do enjoy it. Well, I guess that's why, that's why you're, that's why you're wanting to study acting. Yeah. That's that exactly. But it's, like, I don't know about you, but whenever I get a role, like, I get the role, and then I go, oh. <laughs> because it's like, my body, my body loves it, and loves working on the material, but my brain goes, you know how much work this is. And to get it up to a standard that I feel proud about, or else it just, if, if I don't feel proud about the work I presented, then realistically there's a lack of passion and that radiates on stage as someone that sees a lot of theater like if a performer is not happy about the way they're playing a role you can really tell you can tell 
I was going to ask you, no, I am going to ask you a few questions. Of course. Um, it's a bit quick, it's a bit fast. I try to keep it pretty succinct. I'm going to shake it up for you. The bit that makes you made you want to start, the bit that makes you question the whole industry, that's mm-hmm. assuming that you do that, mm-hmm. and the bit that makes you recover from that and kind of come back from that. Okay, so it's three questions? Three questions. Okay, so the bit that made me want to start? Yeah. I actually don't know. I've wanted to do it forever. Yeah. I actually don't know. Isn't that weird? Like there's no specific moment. It for me is the love of my life. It it really is. The, the, The idea of performing... And I've learned to not take it so seriously now. So when rejection does does happen, and it happens so much <laughs> that when it happens, it's not, I'm not sort of, you know, in bed hysterically crying, which if you do, that's perfectly fine. But I can bounce back. Yeah. But it's just something ever since I was, I, I, it's just, it is what it is. It, it, it's a it's a part of who I am. It's not who I am though. And mm. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. It's an important part of who I am, but it's not. Liam McQuinney is not Liam McQuinney the performer. Right. It's Liam McQuinney the person, the son, the partner, the best friend, the enemy, the retail worker, the colleague, the date. There's so many other aspects to who I am that I would classify to have equal importance as performing. That balance hasn't always been there though. Yes. What about the bit that's made you question the industry, if you have? Okay, I've, I've questioned it in many ways. The, the idea of not being um, good enough, mm. but then reflecting back and going, what can little old me offer in a way? But I think it's, as I've gotten older, I've gone, hang on, th- these are the, I don't like to use the word gifts, but these are the tools I have yeah. that I can offer to the industry and sort of having confidence in that. And that's sort of half the battle, really. Yeah. Um, I question sometimes the industry in, might be a bit controversial, the, the presentation of body image and these unsaid requirements mm-hmm. of what you need to be to be particularly a male yeah the industry and what are they because i don't actually know like i'm obviously the idea of either being a stick or being buff and there's sort of nothing necessarily in between yeah in a way um and look maybe a lot of this is just me projecting but this is what i've also discussed with other people that just because you're not either or doesn't mean you're worth less in a way and realistically, sort of everyone is either or. But it's the idea of we see on Instagram a lot of performers. And look, I do post a lot of pictures of myself on Instagram. A lot of performers just post pictures of themselves naked, which is fantastic. And I guess you're promoting a sense of comfortability. You're promoting a sense of pride that you've worked so bloody hard at your body and training. But on the other end of the spectrum... If you're inviting, you're inviting people to have a personal response to your things on social media because that's how 
the sort of byproduct of that thinking is they'll like it or they'll comment. So you're asking them to have a personal response. If their personal response is to that, oh, I'm never going to be that, oh, I wish I was like that, that has a negative effect on someone else. And so, and I think with a large surplus in, 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 in the entertainment industry, which is so presentational, it can be, I think it can serve as a bit sort of challenging to navigate your own self-confidence in a world where you feel like you'll never be something or mm. you'll never look like that person. And I guess like a lot of people will say to that, oh, well, your performers, like, of course, it's like telling a model that it's not about her image. Like, of course, it's about the image. That's what you signed up for. It is. It's part of it. And I feel mm. like in the theatrical medium, particularly I'll say musical theatre, musical theatre often it's, is a presentation of an ideal portrayal of reality. And that ideal portrayal often involves a certain, I'll say it, a certain physique that appears to be quote-unquote ideal, whatever yeah. that is. Um, but funnily enough, I think it's the sort of opposing that mentality and making more different interesting choices in terms of the people you cast. Mm. And that's where you get interesting stories being told. Because the... Our appearance does impact the story we tell. And what about... Yeah, because I know, for example, with Buddy Holly, you were cast absolutely on your talent, but a large portion of that is absolutely how you looked. Yeah. So sometimes it works for us and sometimes it works against us. 100%. And it's just coming down to having enough self-confidence to go, I love my body. And I've had people say some awful things about my body. I'm, I'm not even going to lie. And to anyone out there listening, don't you ever let someone tell you anything is bad about your body. Because it's, it's so mentally draining. And it's... Um, our bodies are for us, essentially. And if you're happy with it, that's all that matters. Yeah. Really, realistically... Like, if anyone has the audacity to say, for example, and I've had this a few times, more than a few, you're fat. It's like, well, what are you getting out of that? You're, you're, you're telling someone, it's, it's just like, it really bothers me. It bothers me immensely. Someone posted on Facebook and it really annoyed me. I actually reported the post. Oh, um, uh, put a picture up. Um, of yourself and I'll give you a ranking out of 10 and I was like are you for ser like are you serious that is disgusting I was like there is so much more to life than the way that you look as actors and this is film and television as well actually I feel like sometimes we're made to be of service and look realistically we are so if someone asks us to lose weight for the storytelling purposes, it's mm -hmm. like, or put on weight or whatever sort of shape-shifting. It's like, well, you know, sometimes that's just what happens in order to tell the story more effectively. Yeah. But it's also like, 
there's part of me that goes, oh, I don't know if that's... That sits well with me. It shakes me up the wrong way. It really does. So I guess, cool. So after that, like, what's the bit that makes you come back from that? Like, what's the redeeming thing that brings you back from that? What tools have you learned along the way? I think for me, it's the sense of there's nothing else that I want to do. And that's just plain and simple. Like, I don't know anything else, which made it very challenging, has made it because I'm like, I don't really do anything else. Like, I do other things, and I'm so much more, but it's the thing I always come back to. Yeah. No, that's really special. Cool. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. I love it dearly. Well, I hope that we can be in the theatre again one day soon. Me too. I hope we can be in a theatre. I hope we can be... On stage. Watching, literally, just doing something. Yeah. Doing something, you know. I'm pretty keen to um, get back oh. into it when we can. Cause I and was... you radiate on the stage too. So it's... <laughs> I love this stage. I'm very comfortable on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I haven't always been comfortable on the stage. But mainly because I wasn't comfortable in myself. Yeah. Well, I took a hiatus. Like, I took three years off uh, yeah. in my late 20s. I was just cooked. I was just done. Yeah. So, yeah, that happens too. See, I, I don't think I could do that, to be honest. You never know. I would have to. I'd have to. Well, well, look, you're so right. I, I do never know. I, I never know. I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I could become an alien. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm an alien. Hello. <laughs> I really like that doing the voice. So you said you've always wanted to perform. Yeah. So what's your advice to younger people who feel the same way but don't know where to start or they're discouraged or they want to study it but with these new fees that have come into play that's doubled the pricing... My advice would be everyone has their own journey, number one. So don't compare yourself to other people. It's so, it's so, so much harder than it sounds. Like it's, it's easier said than done, but it's, it's very beneficial because you can get tunnel vision in a way and just focus. Mm. And that's part of it too is uh, consistency. And I think just be tenacious and be open to learning i've watched so many people who are very talented that part of it is they know they're talented Mm. so they don't want to learn and it's like some people go to these schools and stuff like that to to be validated not to learn it's very it's a very interesting construct that you see people just want to be validated Mm -hmm. instead of wanting to learn if you go there to learn, you will get so much more out of it. So if you go there to be validated, yeah, you could. But it's like, be hungry for it. Mm. And I haven't been really be open. I haven't been really opening to learning because I'm a culprit. I have. I would say I'm quite a grounded human being, but I've also got an ego that I that I have to um, control and that I have to be cautious of because. It's the idea, well, ego comes from insecurity, but the, but the idea of um, 
I need to be quote unquote good or that was so bad or I need to be quote unquote good and it's like it's not about being good or bad it's about learning something right now mm. so because of that I haven't necessarily been open to learning more about my craft until very very recently or being I've, I've known it in my head but to actually have it trickle down and take over my body and have it physically happen that hasn't happened until very recently so be open and my third one is to uh dream uh, just dream big i really there's so i'm a big believer in that things can happen i really am and it sounds very wanky and whatever but it's those dreams, to be honest with me, that have gotten me through. Mm. And they have they have been realised. In Year 12, the one thing I wanted was to win the Victorian Music Theatre Guild Award for Best Actor for playing Peter Allen. And I, I, I didn't necessarily tell anyone, but that's the one thing I wanted. I didn't care about my ATAR. I didn't care about anything. And it happened. I think, too, there's a lot of power in um, seeing something and just focusing on it and you almost draw it to yourself you really do 100% you draw it to yourself and you know if it's the right time or not it's like me right now me trying to find a boyfriend when I know deep down that it's not going to happen right now but I'm still doing it (laughs) I'm still putting myself out there because I'm a bit addicted but that's another that's for that's for part two guys so but but it's the idea that if it's meant to be it's meant to be but if you want it to happen you can make it happen too i i'm a big believer in that if you want it badly enough yeah so where can we see you like can we follow you can we see you in the theater what's happening do you have dates for sideshow i've got no dates okay you can follow me on instagram liam i think it's liam mcwinney or lowercase 98 um, and Facebook, if I'm not a Facebook, I, I've added a whole bunch of Facebook people, random, not, well, not random people, but I'm sure they're lovely, but just like suggested people recently. A bit, a bit weird. Maybe your true <laughs> so, love's one of those people. Send me a request because I'm bound to accept it. Oh. <laughs> uh, um. Some great content here. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to episode two. It was a bull chatting with Liam. We're going to be dropping another episode really soon. So stay tuned on the socials to see when that'll be and we'll catch you then. See ya. Well, I'm going to come and see you in Geelong. Can I ask you one more question? Did you get your bloody driver's license? No. <laughs> How are you driving Essendon? How are you getting Essendon to Geelong for rehearsals? I would train. Okay. Yeah. So I would train. Um, I would train and then I would, not going to lie, I have done the Uber once or three times. Um, (laughs) Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Don't lie to me on my podcast. (laughs) On my, don't lie to me on my podcast. How much did the um, Uber cost? 115. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I used yeah. to Uber. Well, here I am persecuting you. I don't have my license. I'm 32 in two weeks. So. <laughs> and I, I was Ubering it from um, South Yarra to 
to Bo Morris quite often during our run, mm-hmm. so. What was it, $50? Nah, nah. Uh, what was it, like 30 bucks or something? That's not too bad. It's not too bad. But then my rating's gone down because I tend to sing on practice lines in the Uber. So we've got people going like, um, like, what happened? And it's like, you know. And then this guy accused me of peeing in his Uber and then paid me an extra $80. I was like, I'm getting that retracted. Thank you very much. How did he accuse you of that? How awful. I was awful. And then I was like, I'm a fully grown man. Like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure my urinary tract is well trained. Like, it's not necessarily... Just because I'm a singer doesn't mean I'm uncouth. Oh, they think I'm crazy. I think I've got like a 3.9 rating, which is awful. 